0: Listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragould. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagould.com. Let's come back to our seats and get ready to dive into God's Word. If you're visiting with us this morning, the first thing we want to say is we are glad that you're here. You are welcome at Fellowship Church Paragould, and more than that, Jesus wants to welcome you today. And so we, uh, we're we going to begin a new series this morning on emotional health. And if you're like me, you're probably like, what? Okay, even some of you in here might think, I'm, I'm here to hear God's Word. I'm not here to deal with all this touchy-feely stuff. That sounds like we're going to get into all that psychological mumbo-jumbo. But what I want to assure you this morning of is we're going to do nothing but just look into God's Word and see how it speaks into the reality of how we feel And I think we could get an overwhelming amen if I were to ask for one about how many of us struggle with emotions in our life. Right? Amen? Amen. Right. So why would we set apart this section of our lives that we deal with every day as if it's not something to come under the lordship of Jesus? Because to be a disciple is to be someone who is every day submitting all of their lives and all of who they are to the lordship of Jesus. And so if we don't look at how we feel in light of that, then we're going to miss a big piece of the puzzle about what it means to follow our Savior. So we're going to look in Matthew 26 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there or flip there with your thumb on your phone or look up here on the screen. Now, the main point of these verses we're going to look at is not to speak directly to our emotional life. The main point of these verses is how Jesus is wrestling before the Father about the fact that He is about to take upon Himself the very wrath of God that is to come upon people for their rebellion against Him. So that is the main point of this text. But there's also another point that we see flowing through here that is important for us to see. And that is not simply how Jesus here is moving on this mission of saving the world from their sin and the penalty of it, but how he experiences this as one who is both fully God and fully man, and yet full of emotion, but without sin. So we need help in that. And so we want to see this today through the Word of God, and hopefully through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So Matthew 26, we're going to read verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Father, we ask you right now that through your spirit you would open our eyes that we might see the truth of your word. And we pray that through your power that the truth would set us free. Father, no doubt there are many people here this morning who look as if they're living life in in just joy and happiness and yet on the inside they're dying. No doubt, God, there are people here who are feeling enslaved by how they feel and yet don't know what to do with that. Some people in here, God, that probably feel as if there's one area of their life that they have no control over, and that is how they feel their emotions. And God, we know that this is not too big that you can't handle it, too big that you've not already dealt with it through the cross. And so today we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to take the work of Christ that has already been accomplished and make it real in the depths of who we are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the continued spirit of your pastor showing you that we are equally needy of both God's help and everybody's help, I want to tell you some good news is that I graduated from college, okay? Now, before you get too excited, okay, I did graduate from college, I did take some hard classes and did pretty well, and what on the outside might look like, wow, that's somebody who really grew up. Well, I draw home something else that wasn't just my degree. But when I went to college, my mom sent me an iron to iron my clothes. When I came home, I brought the iron back to her. In the box, unopened. <laughs> for these years that I was in college, I figured that I did not need sheets. Okay, who needs sheets for a bed, right? I mean, all you need is really a blanket to lay on and a blanket to put over. And why in the world would you care so much about washing clothes in view of this great invention called Febreze? Right, I mean, you can make these things go as long as you need to. And it's amazing how many clothes you can actually cram into a washer when you need to. And so what you can see is on the outside someone might look like they, man, they they really made an accomplishment. They have really grown up and then be a total child when it comes to another area of their lives. Now the reality is this morning is that many of us in here look pretty good in certain areas. We may have a high IQ, we may have a lot of success at work, we might can even come to church and look like, man look at how they serve, look at how they have it together, but when it comes to dealing with our emotions, we're babies. We're babies. We can't hardly ever admit when we're wrong. When someone criticizes us, we get defensive, we get our feelings hurt. There are some of us who can come to church and, man, we can serve and have have people and pastors look back and say, man, aren't we just thankful for how selfless they are? But then at home, some of you men, your wives feel like they're all alone. They wish you would get off the couch and do something. Or they wish that you could actually listen to them talk to you about their day without you nodding off. In so many ways, we can be people who look so good, look so strong, and then when it comes to dealing with how we feel or talking about how we feel, we're babies. We're babies. And what this equals, is it equals shallow lives. It equals shallow... Fight clubs, shallow missional communities, shallow churches, and it can lead to a shallow mission because as I've already said, to be a disciple is to be one who doesn't just submit certain parts of your life to the Lordship of Jesus, but every part. Every part. So you can have the highest IQ in this room, but if you don't have an equally growing EQ, emotional quotient, then you are not growing up into the maturity and fullness that Jesus is calling you to in him but there's good news today is that we're not exposing anything here that our God does not already know about we're not exposing anything in here this morning that he cannot change that He has not already came to redeem. That if you were in Christ this morning, it's not a really a matter so much as being set free from the captivity you have to your lack of being able to deal with your emotions. It's you have already been set free. And you merely need to submit yourself to the leadership of the Holy Spirit calling you this morning to live out that freedom that you have in Christ. But to do so, you must have the courage. Because this is about courage. Courage. You must have the courage to embrace your emotions. How do we do that? Because some of us don't know where to start if we want to. And no doubt there's others of you in here right now who still aren't convinced you should do this. So let's look into Jesus' life here. And this is just one photograph of Jesus' life. I believe we could go many other places and see this as well. The first thing we see here is you must have the courage to listen to how you feel. Notice again verses 36 and 37. Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane. So He withdraws to this place and He says to His disciples, "'Sit here while I go over there and pray.'" And then verse 37, "...and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled." If you read through the Gospels and you see the life of Jesus, you're going to see someone who is very busy. Guess what? Busier than you. Right? You're going to see someone doing some what? Fairly important things on his schedule. Right? Maybe as important as the things on our schedule. So just as busy with equally important things to do, who every time we see this rhythm in his life, he is withdrawing and getting alone before the Father. And guess what? He is willing to be alone before the Father. And when he's alone before the Father, he's not just reciting a written prayer. He's not just following a template. He's not just rehashing a Bible study and it's often not very pretty. Sometimes I think we have this vision of Jesus that is something I don't know where we got it from. Maybe from our, our bad experiences in church growing up or maybe because of some picture we've seen of Jesus hanging in a church with these flowing locks and, and this just nice stale look on His face. That we think that when Jesus went and prayed with God, you know, it must have just been like this experience of him running through fields of clovers with the beach boys playing in the background. (laughs) But this is not what happens when we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is not what happens when we see Jesus retreating to time alone with God. Notice in these verses, it says that he was sorrowful, it says that he was troubled. It says in these accounts, if you want to go and look in the other gospels where it speaks of this prayer in the garden, it says he falls to the ground. Okay, now that's not just using there like a, a, a metaphor for he, he uh, solemnly got down on his knees and put his hands together. No, he is, he is troubled, he's overwhelmed, he falls to the ground. What Jesus is willing to do is he is willing to create space to listen to his own heart in the presence of God. To hear how he feels. But we all know that this is exactly the opposite of how most of us live our lives. And and I'm I'm the world's worst at this. I remember when I first got married, this was really annoying to my wife. Is I would come in from work, ESPN, right? Right in the door. Right? And there's others of you in here probably are like that. You, You can't walk in the house without turning on the TV. Right? I just can't handle it being quiet. You can't get in the car without turning on the radio. And some of you are so, so dependent on your phones to distract you from reality, you walk around like a chain smoker with a phone, right? Oh no, did something happen on Facebook the last two seconds before I got to look? Some of you right now are probably feeling that itch, right? You're wanting to get in that phone and start scrolling, right? You'll walk out of here this morning and say, get this bread, get this juice down, right? Right? And for some of you, that's because of other issues you can deal with at another time. But for many of us, it's because we don't want to have to stop and think. We don't want to have to deal with how we feel. And we like that we can have these distractions so that we don't have to be alone, be silent, and actually deal with what's going on beneath the surface. We're afraid, some of us, because we don't want to go there. We don't know where that might lead. We've pretended to be strong for so long we want to save space or we don't want to deal with the fact that if we listen to how we feel, then that might lead us to actually having to deal with some things we need to change and address in our lives. But I hope we see here that following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus means you create space to deal with how you feel. And as scary as that may be for some of you, He's he's calling you to follow Him there. You're not going to go there alone. But you're going to have to go there if you will be a disciple who is submitting your heart to Christ. But not just to create space to listen to how you feel, but to own how you feel. Notice verse 38. Jesus said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So see, Jesus didn't just create the space to listen, but He also named how he felt. He owned how he felt. He did not just reject distracting himself from dealing with his emotions, but he also rejected denying the feelings he felt. And he wasn't embarrassed by it. Even though going to someone and saying, "You know what? I'm just really sad right now." To many of us that feels like weakness. But Jesus wasn't embarrassed by how he felt. He wasn't ignoring how he felt. He's not like you know, I feel horrible. I think I just need to to hit the drive-thru and Netflix when I get home. Right? And I'll just numb this. I'll just forget about this. He was honest with himself. He didn't just dismiss it like, yeah, I'm probably just being stupid. Or that person brought that up about me. They're just overreacting. He was honest with others versus what many of us do. What? How you doing? I'm fine. You might be fine sometimes, but can we all admit we're not always fine? But that's how many of us, we have no relationships and no times when we're not fine. We have situations where somebody says, how can I pray for you? I'm good. What? Maybe sometimes. Maybe not even sometimes. (laughs) Where we know there's stuff going on in our lives and we need people to pray for us. Jesus was honest about that. He called it like it was. He was courageous enough to do that. Maybe we have some vision of what it means to be strong. And we think being strong is suppressing how we feel. Maybe we have some vision of Jesus when he calls us to deny ourselves that that means to deny how we feel. When in the other, when really what he's calling us to do is to have the courage to be real To deny ourselves, that is to be humble enough to show our weakness so that we can follow Him with His people and into the good news of the freedom He has brought. Jesus felt the feeling, He named the feeling, He owned the feeling, He embraced it. I've had three, three people in my life that I would call friends who committed suicide. And I would never have guessed that these three people would have done that. I never would have guessed it. If you would have told me that person is somebody who's going to kill themselves, I would have said, <laughs> you've obviously not hung out with them. That guy's a blast. But you find out, whether through talking with the family or, talking, or reading a note that's been written, that there's this whole other world of emotions that's going on beneath the surface. That they felt for some reason that I'd rather die than have to deal with this in my life. It breaks my heart. And it. What also breaks my heart, though, is there's other people, and maybe some of you today, who you're not about to kill yourself, but you are living a suicide. That is, you are walking around, and you're dying on the inside, but you, you are rejecting and resisting bringing that out in front of anyone else. That's not courageous. It's not. I, I think sometimes we think that we have to be more spiritual than Jesus was. Do you realize that Jesus, fully God and fully man, without sin, was full of emotions? We could read all these texts, and you can go look this up on your own, but in Luke and John, we see Jesus Christ. Did y'all realize that? When you know, shortest verse, right? Jesus wept. He cries. He's grieved. In Mark 14 we see this. He grieves. We see he can look over the city of Jerusalem and see how they're rejecting him. And he grieves. We see he's angry. I mean, all of us know the, the story of how Jesus comes into the temple and sees that they're misusing the worship of God. And he gets angry and turns over tables. But that's not just the only time. We see in another instance where Jesus just sees that after he heals a man that the religious people are upset that he did it on the Sabbath, and it says he was angry. So he he's grieves, he cries, he's angry. We see Jesus at certain times just filled with joy. He's happy. Some of you in here may be afraid to be happy. You know, when we talk about sharing our emotions, we're not just talking about the down ones, but also the up ones. Some of you need to discipline yourselves to laugh more. Jesus laughed. Jesus laughed. We see Jesus get irritated and yet without sin. I think in this text he's kind of irritated. Guys, could you, not, <laughs> could you not just stay awake a few minutes? He's betrayed and it seems he's hurt. At times he even faces being alone. He's in distress. Jesus is a real person. He's more of a man than Clint Eastwood or John Wayne because he's about to look death in the face and take it head on. And he takes on any opposition to the kingdom of God head on. And yet he is man enough, he is human enough to embrace how he feels, to own how he feels. See, we can think that the most spiritual people are the most laid back people. But that is not always the case. We have this false image of Jesus that causes many of us just to set back and wither in our emotions. Oh, your wife died. Your child died. Well, praise the Lord, brother. The great heavenly homecoming is on its way. Just put on a smile. If you are smiling when somebody dies in your life, and this might be controversial, if that's all you're doing... That's not a sign of maturity. Jesus cried when his friend Lazarus died and he knew he was going to raise him from the dead in just a few seconds. And if you were to look at Jesus and say, he just doesn't get the gospel, right? We need to teach Jesus about heaven because if he knew about heaven, then he would not be upset right now. Even uh, me and somebody else in here were walking through another church building in town and they had came up with some of their commandments and one of the commandments was, Thou shalt smile. I'm not making this stuff up and you know what I'm talking about. We're like REM, shiny, happy people. And on the inside, we're, we're hurting and we feel like the spiritual thing is just to suck it up. But this is what makes Christianity different from a lot of other religions. Eastern mysticism and Gnosticism and things like that would say maturity is to, to break away from the emotions, to break away from the self. But we see that in Christ, being a disciple means to live out the life of, of one who has been given the image of a God who feels strongly... If we're disciple people that maturity in Christ means denying how we feel, then we're discipling people into the image of someone other than Jesus. And I'm the world's worst at this. My wife is very emotional. She's here, to say the least. And guess what? I don't like that. And it causes me to sin against her sometimes. And I'll say dumb things like this. And I actually've said this, even as one who's preparing for these. Let's just pretend like we're robots. I've said that. Can we just communicate this information back and forth without all the facial expressions, without all the tone? Amen. Thank you, brother. And I'm not saying there's not sin that gets in there. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the, commun- the, the message that is communicated is, is that if we were really spiritual, then we would just walk around. Hello, how are you doing? I am feeling bad today. Will you help me clean the kitchen? That's not human. (laughs) That's not Christ-like. If we're going to be Christ-like as we see in God's Word, then we need to, to be able to name how we feel, to own how we feel. And some of you just need to be able to do that. You just need to discipline yourselves in your life to stop and be able to say, I'm sad right now. I'm angry right now. I'm I feel alone right now. I feel afraid right now. I feel guilty right now. I feel happy right now. Denying that is not the path to maturity. It's the path to danger. But we can't stop there because God, and I know some of you are thinking this, God is not interested in us just merely venting. God is not interesting in creating people who just flaunt their emotions. So not only should we embrace the time to listen to how we feel, to to own how we feel, but to give it to God. And we see this as the, as the text goes on in verse 39. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed and said, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And as we go down through these next few verses, through verse 44, we see Jesus doing this again and again, that Jesus doesn't just have this internal thing that's going on, but he brings it to God. He brings it to God. He falls on his face before God. He prays in agony he prays earnestly. He even praises, as we see in another depiction of what goes on in the garden here, another account that it says sweat drops started to fall from Him. This was an intense time before God as Jesus casted His cares upon the one who cared for Him. Some of us think that we have to be a different person before God. There may be some of you in here this morning who are not yet followers of Jesus and one of the reasons you're not a follower yet is because you think you're going to have to fundamentally become a someone who is fake. You think if the only way people pull off the Christian life is they've got to just come to grips with the fact they have to be fake. Jesus here isn't anything but fake and He's calling us anything but to be fake. I remember times, and you've probably been in situations like this, if you grew up in the South and in church, where you have some good old boy who's the the biggest hillbilly in the world, probably about as much as I am, and he's probably doing all he can to pass his English class, and then all of a sudden he gets in church or at a funeral, and they call on him to pray, and he starts praying, and you're like, what? Because all of a sudden, this guy speaks in the King James English. Oh, thou heavenly Father, thou hast blessed us with this time we gather here today. And we ask thee, Lord, that thou mightest lead guide, and protect us on our way and that that thou would give us traveling mercies as we get home. And there's what in the world? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And no wonder we get this impression that we before God have to be different. I want to read you the end of Psalm eighty. I want to read you a prayer that God said, I want this prayer in the Bible at the end of Psalm 88. But I, O Lord, cry to you, in the morning my prayer comes before you, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath is swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. The end. That's Psalms, Psalm 88. And you know what God said? Put that in the Bible. I want my people to see they can come to me and through a faith that is willing to approach my throne, be who they are in my presence to bring what they're going through to me in all of its raw, messy realness. So don't be scared. Some of you are like, Oh, I'd never pray like that. That's blasphemy. God doesn't want you to come to Him with a accusatory, condemning attack on His character, but He wants to come to you as someone who trusts Him enough to be honest. Jesus' emotional life is not detached from His devotional life, and neither should ours be. You need to trust God enough to tell Him how you feel, the good and the bad. You need to trust Him enough to tell Him when you're happy, but you also need to trust Him enough to tell Him about how you feel angry. You need to trust Him enough to give Him your desires. That is, God, I'd really like to get revenge on this person. You know He already knows that? So why not talk to Him about it? Trust Him enough to tell Him when you want to reconcile with somebody. Trust Him enough to tell Him about your love. Trust Him enough to tell Him about your lust. Trust Him enough to ask Him why you feel this way. So not just give him his, your feelings, not just give him your desires, but to to give him your heart and say, God, I know I'm very well in sin. Show me how I am. Show me. There's a way we talk about dealing with things in the world, things in culture that we can either reject them, receive them, or redeem them. And I think this can apply to our emotions as well. If we come to God and we say, God, I want I'm only willing to ask you why I feel this way. Is this something I should just receive? <coughs> like a loved one dies and you're overwhelmed with sorrow, guess what God's gonna to say to you? Just cry it out. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. But your your favorite television shows canceled And you're being a punk to your spouse all day? You know, the Lord's maybe saying, I think you need to reject that. Right? And sometimes it's not so simple, is it? And most of the time, this is the case. We feel a certain way. And it's not, it's not that the feeling is wrong, but the feeling has given sin an opportunity to come into our lives. And so we need to redeem that. That is, we need to say, what, what's good in this? So I'm grieving over the loss of my loved one. I need to receive that. But now I'm letting that make me be bitter and condescending and evil to other people in my life. I need to reject that part. We need to be willing to look for the idols beneath our emotions. Am I upset because my comfort has been threatened? Am I upset because my approval has been threatened by my performance? My performance has been threatened. Am I upset because I'm not getting something that I want and I'm wanting it more than God in this moment? You see, we, we have to take our emotions to God, and the good news is we'll meet Him there. If you will take how you feel to God, you will probably find, I would say not probably, you will find that you will experience an intimacy with Him that you never have before. You see, emotions get to the heart of the reality of who we are and who our lives are before the Father. But Jesus just doesn't listen to how He feels. He doesn't just... On how he feels, he doesn't just give it to God. But once he's given it to God, he moves forward. And this is how we see our text ends this morning. Verses 44 and 45 and 46. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So Jesus moves forward, okay? He doesn't just stay there. He moves forward. Is it all going to be neat and tidy now? Oh, no. Not at all. I'm not giving you some kind of formula this morning. If I, if I feel the feeling, own the feeling, and give it to God, well, I just get up now and go on my way, and little cartoon birds are flirting around my head. No. No. Our prayer, our time with God, does not tie a nice, neat bow around our lives, or call us now. Well, now let the faking begin. No, Jesus' friends continue to misunderstand Him. Jesus is about to be betrayed. Jesus is about not only to enter hard times, but the hardest time in the history of the world. Jesus is about to go to a cross, and on that cross, He's not going to hang there in some sort of robot fashion, saying, I'm carrying out the will of my Father. No, He is going to cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he gets up from the garden and he moves forward with his emotions, but not enslaved by them. You see, the options are not for us to either be stonewalled or psychotic, okay? Not the only two options when it comes to how we feel. Not to either fake our emotions or flaunt our emotions. Those are not the only two options. The only two options are not to run from our emotions or be ruled by our emotions. The option is we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. And how is Jesus not running from how He feels or ruled by how He feels as He lives the mission God has called Him on? It's because He puts how He feels in the context of the larger story of the gospel He knows that how he feels is a part of something bigger. He knows it's wrapped up in a fallen world, but a fallen world that does not have the last word. He knows that how he feels is a part of a life where he is experiencing the fullness of all that we experience, including our emotions, yet he is without sin. He knows that he is going to die a death that will cover all the sins that we commit because of how we feel. He is dying a death that will make us right before God a righteousness that is not dependent upon how emotionally healthy we are, but how emotionally healthy He was. A righteousness that leads to a resurrection that He will come forth from the grave showing that He has the power to defeat and to make all things new, including us. He knows that it's a part of a story of His reign where He will go to the Father and He will send the Spirit who can empower us to live lives that bring forth the fruit that we heard Jared speak about. Love, joy, peace, patience, and on and on. All of which deal directly with what? Our emotions. He knows that it's a part of a story of His return. And everything will be made right and we will live forever as fully emotional people yet without sin. It's the 4th of July weekend and we do well to mention it. We do well to be thankful for how God has blessed us as a country. We do well to celebrate the freedom that we have the freedoms that we enjoy. The freedom to gather here and to worship. We thank God for that. There's some of us Myself included, to be honest with you sometimes. We can get pretty upset when people don't take those freedoms seriously. We can get pretty upset when people trounce on those freedoms or people don't live out those freedoms how they should. But what we, and starting with me, need to realize Jesus has died to set us free. And when we live as people who do not take advantage of that freedom that He has given us by pursuing it to the depths of who we are, then we are doing something far worse than trampling on the American flag. We are refusing to deal and to embrace the freedom that He has given us in the core of who we are. In Jesus, we can be real with how we feel Real with our emotions and yet not ruled by them. But we got to deal with it. I hope my dad doesn't listen to this sermon because I'm going to tell you something about him right now. Before you think it's going to be too heavy, it has to do with dealing with a sewage problem. So, (laughs) in our house, it's been there a long time. Every now and then stuff gets backed up. And my dad is a hard worker, and he's not going to call anybody until he has to to come fix anything at our house. And so my dad will go out in the yard with a shovel. <laughs> he will do what he has to do. And one of the times this got really bad, and he had to go under our house where the backing up had become unbacked up. And he had to get down on his hands and knees and crawl through literally a bunch of crap. Now, why was he willing to do that? I guess we could have put a new commode in the bathroom. But he could go under there and deal with that, or the other thing that could happen, that happened to him that led him to get under there, is that you go in there and you try to flush the commode and something worse and more embarrassing happens. Because guess what? You're going to have to deal with it one way or another. (laughs) It's either going to come out at some point... (laughs) in front of everybody, or you can go beneath the surface and take care of the problem. It's messy both ways, (coughs) but one way there's hope that this thing can be changed, that this thing can be dealt with where the problem actually is. The good news for you and I is that Jesus has already went there. He's going to go under the house with you. He's going to put you on His back, as it were, and go through all that mess so that you can find the healing and the freedom that He intends for you to have. Because the biblical reality is, is it is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So would Jesus feel the feeling, own the feeling? Give it to God and walk on in the gospel because in Him we can have the courage to engage our emotions. Father, we thank You so much that there is no area of our life that You are not big enough to not only handle, not only help, but to give us hope to change. And we ask You this morning that through the gospel You would lead us in here, to walk forward in repentance where we need to. Maybe, Father, there's someone in here who needs to to talk to somebody about this and their fight club and their missional community or needs to come to a pastor and explain this inner world that no one knows about and to find you in it with them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.